how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome back to the show. In this episode, I sat down with screenwriter Graham Yost. His impressive career began with Nickelodeon's Hey Dude, but the movie Speed changed his life. He's got credits for Broken Arrow, Hard Rain, Band of Brothers, The Last Castle, Boomtown, The Pacific, Justified, Sneaky Pete, and most recently, Silo. The new Apple Plus series is described as Men and women live in a giant silo underground with several regulations which they believe are in place to protect them from the toxic and ruined world on the surface. Obviously, there's more to the story. In this interview, Graham talks about writing unwitting heroes, how they went about adapting silo, writing nuclear pilots, the pressure of serving fans of the IP, lessons from Charles Dickens, and how there's actually no showrunner on the series Band of Brothers along with lots more. Here's my conversation with Graham Yost. My father had a show on sort of a Canadian PBS um, all about movies. And so I grew up, and even before he had that show, we just talked about movies. He was a movie nut and book nut, and my mother was too. And so that was our, our family. And my, my joke is that if I told my parents I wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer, they would have said, are you sure you don't want to be a writer? Um, so... Uh, you know, a friend took a course at Tufts when he was living, living in Boston. It was about screenwriting. And it's like, oh, yeah, that that's a thing. That's a thing. So I started trying that when I was about 18. It was bad for a long, long time. Um, and then, you know, finally got work with Nickelodeon when I was about 26, 27. And, and uh, when I was 28, got a job writing for one of their shows, uh, their one of their first scripted shows, Hey Dude. And and I just loved it. I loved trying to figure it out. Um, you know, I'll say to people, I love this part of it, which is the yellow pad. I love I love scribbling down ideas and breaking a story and scenes and all of that. Um, I love writing the script. I love rewriting the script. I really love rewriting other people's scripts. So that's why being a showrunner has been fantastic for me. Um, yeah. So then, you know, it just one thing led to another and i've had a lot of uh a lot of strokes of great good fortune where it's just right place right time and uh you know wrote speed at just the right time that you know first paramount but then ultimately 20th century fox wanted to do it and then getting jobs in television it's just i've been incredibly fortunate that said i've also got a long list of projects that didn't go anywhere and projects that didn't last as long as I wanted them to and projects that didn't turn out as well as I wanted them to. And that's part of the job of, of being a, a film and television writer. So, uh, but I'll st I'd still take it all over again. Um, you know, and I still, still enjoy doing it. Do you see sort of a, a through line in the characters you create? Like, like it seems like the industry itself has moved away from white hats and black hats to more of a gray anti-hero. But you have a lot of that in your work. Is that something you gravitate towards? You know, it's interesting. I, I, I do like uh, a a good shot of gray in that in the in the in the hero and the heroine. I like 
that they're not perfect people. I like that they're struggling, but I'm I'm also someone who's not drawn to full on antiheroes. Um, you know, I'm not that interested in watching a show that's um, or a movie that's just about full on criminals for whatever reason. Um, I love The Godfather and Godfather too because there was a great moral story there. There was a great struggle. Um, but um, I'm more interested in characters that, you know, are yearning for trying to be a better person. Um, I always felt that Raylan Gibbons was struggling, you know, when is at the end of the pilot, when uh, his ex-wife says, honestly, Raylan, you're the angriest person I've ever met. It's like, cool. That gives us some place to go. But he was still a good guy. Um, mm -hmm. He was trying to do good. He just crossed a lot of lines and his, you know, friends in the Marshall, well, friends, people we knew in the Marshall service said, yeah, he wouldn't have lasted very long. You know, you can't go around shooting people in the Marshall service. That tends to get you turfed. Um, when we worked on uh, the show Sneaky Pete, we loved writing for Giovanni Rabisi, but we loved that character because he was, he was always doing, and whenever he did something good for someone, he, there was always something where he was gaining from it. So you never quite knew where he was, but you sensed that like Pinocchio is trying to be a real boy. Uh, you know, um, Marcus, uh, Marius was trying to be a better person. Um, I find with the reason I love writing and a lot of us do in the, on the staff love writing Juliet is she has no interest in being a good person. She has no interest in doing the right thing. She has no interest in being a hero. She's just wants what she wants, which is to find out what happened to her, her boyfriend. But in doing that, she starts to, you know, in the starts to trip over some of the realities of the silo and starts to find things out. And ultimately, she will be a hero, but that's not her goal. Her goal is just to do the next right thing um, and solve the next the next mystery. Um, so I loved someone who was an unwitting hero that, you know, they didn't wake up saying, I want to do heroic things. They woke up saying, I just want to do this. How do you think about preparing the unwitting hero? Like she has a very specific skill set in this show. You think of Sneaky Petey has a very specific skill set, but he's in, a, they're both in new environments. How do you think about, is it just, does that help you develop the character? Like this is who they used to be and this is what I want them to become. Yeah, it's, um, you know, for her, let's, we're just focusing on Juliet. She's, she's an engineer. Uh, my wife and I, we, our son, is an engineer. Um, he's a computer engineer, has now become a coder. But, you know, we like that. I'm attracted to people who are just trying to solve problems. That's all engineers really do. And um, she's very pragmatic about that. And she's very good at it. And as it turns out, it's applicable to becoming a sheriff and solving a mystery. Well, then that, that turns out it becomes applicable to solving the larger mysteries of the silo. Um, and she gets hooked into that. It's a different way in. Um, you know, I I like mystery stories that don't present themselves as mysteries, but ultimately are. And I like, you know, detectives who are not really detectives. They're just people who are just trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Um, and, you know, I for her, you know, it's fun to see different sides of her and find out her past and realize there is trauma there and she's had to deal with that or not. Um, and that there's also, and when we, you know, see in flashbacks with her and George, we see a lightness and and love and um, ease. 
And, you know, you get the sense, man, she'd really like to get back to that. But she's got this other stuff she's got to do first. With that show and a lot of your work, um, does it feel like it's harder today? Because a lot of screenwriter screenplays feel like they're really nuclear. Like it really all happens and a lot of stuff happens. And the, by the end of the season, it's crazy. Do you feel like you're writing yourself in situations where it's hard to actually know what's next to get the character out of it? Well, uh, so when we were doing um, press for the for the launch of Silo, I sat in a London hotel room side by side with Hugh Howey. And here we are with the two writer guys, you know, the, the the face of the writers on this show. And I would say right to him and to where he was asking us, um, buy the books. The books are great, but don't read them until the series is over because we're going to do some things that are slightly different. But also we want to have the fun of revealing to the audience what the hell is going on. Mm-hmm. And we want to solve the mystery. And And so what got me in the books was, Oh, Hugh set up a really good mystery and he he peels back the layers slowly and then sort of we're going to do it slightly differently, but not completely differently. We're still headed in the same direction. Um, I think people who, you know, if we get to do the whole series, will say, oh, that's where this is happening. And that's what, oh, in the book, it happened here, but now nah, here it's happening there. Um, so we um, really to answer your question is Hugh gave us the world. Hugh gave us the basic mysteries. Hugh gave us, it gives us the basic answers. It's the trick for us is how do we, how do we play that out? And how do we do that in a way that is best for a television series rather than when you're sitting and reading a book, if you read the books again, don't read them until the series is over unless you already have, but um, there's something he does in the second book that we couldn't do in a TV series because um, yeah, it was just, a long time without Juliet and we mm-hmm. this show is you know her Rebecca's face is on the poster for a reason that it's Juliet's story um so you know but we were presented with a really great mystery and I think great solutions and so we just sort of have to head in that direction when you're coming on a show like I feel like it used to be that there wasn't quite as much well-known ip getting made now that's like mostly what's getting made how much pressure do you feel like to you know please the readers the people that are familiar with the work do you think about that at all or is it more just you know how do you think about those things i mean we do think about that i mean there's there's many reasons for why we started the show the way we did but one of them is i wouldn't say fan service but i'm a fan so i wanted to do it the way i experienced it which was you read this story about Holston and Allison, and it's just the first chapter. Well, in Hugh's life, that was just a story he wrote. It went viral. People asked for more. And so then he had to retcon hmm. Juliet into it, and on it, it went from there. But, you know, Holston and Allison are gone by the end of the first chapter, essentially. And, well, now what do you do? And that's a tough choice to make um, uh, as uh, someone doing a TV series. But Apple, in particular Jamie Ehrlich, always, you know – he he also feels like well you, you you serve the fans but you're only serving the fans because you're a fan if that makes sense right that 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 was the experience i had i wanted to replicate that for people now we go far off where hugh went in the in the first book or we fill it out because we needed story we knew where we wanted the season to end we knew where it began we had to create some stuff that wasn't in the book to get us from that a to that b um 
I think the big thing for the fans is creating the world mm-hmm. and um, having characters that they recognize as being in the world and yet not perhaps um, the characters aren't always exactly the same as they might have been in the book. Um, you know, Juliet's great friend, confidant, mentor is this character Walker. In the uh, books, Walker is a male. And I decided that, you know, because we were writing it actually for an actor friend who then couldn't do it. And then we were lucky enough to get Harriet Walter. Um, you know, it'd be good if she had sort of a, a surrogate mother figure, given the fact that her mother is no longer in her life. Um, so we make choices like that. And I think that the the fans of the books have been going along with it. Um mm-hmm. And I think because we're staying in the world and, and the rough, the rough beats, we're still going to make choices that that Hugh didn't make down the road. Um, because at a certain point, we have to also serve, you know, the fans of the TV show. Um, there's a Reddit where people talk about the show and it says, I haven't been on it, but a friend says there's a big warning that says this is for this is for people who are watching the TV series. If you've read the books, do not post hmm. uh, because they these are the fans of the series that don't want to know what the people who've read the books know um, yet. And so, you know, we've got to appeal to them as well. Logistically, when did you get involved with the project? Did you have to pitch some specific vision that was your own kind of in the beginning? So it uh, goes back to when my deal was at Sony and that's where we worked on uh, Justified and, and Sneaky Pete. And then Zach and Jamie who ran Sony go off to run Apple or create Apple. Um, and so when my Sony deal was, I when I was at Sony, they were part of everyone in Hollywood was trying to get the silo series. Um, it had been, you know, optioned for, for a feature that hadn't panned out. Just too much story to get into a feature, I think. Um, so the series would be good. Well, AMC, I didn't win it. Uh, Sony didn't win it. It was AMC that got it. And um, But it was hard for them to get it off the ground. And then when Apple became an entity, Jamie started approaching them and saying, what about us doing Silo together? And uh, it took a while. And then he, when I came aboard Apple, and I joined Apple because I wanted to work on Slow Horses, and also I wanted to work on Masters of the Air. And then Silo ended up just taking over everything. So that's that's all I'm doing now. Um, but he um, he said, would you be interested? And I said, well, yeah, I loved it. I threw my hat into the ring, you know, four years ago or whatever it was. And so uh, AMC was, was cool with me coming on board and away we went. I'm looking at just all of your work here. Is, is there a, a giant difference to you in... I think of like Band of Brothers to me, obviously there's a long story happening, but it's also kind of like Sopranos where like every episode is pretty heavy. It's not really like a cliffhanger type moment or something like that. Do you think about, how do you think about that when you're writing a show like Silo? Do you want it to be, feel like movies? Do you want it to be ongoing? Do you want a variety? How do you think about that big picture stuff? It's it's a combo thing, which is we want the each episode to be, this is the episode about that. This is the one where she's on the run and she's hiding in Sims's apartment with his wife. This is the one where she finds out there are cameras. This is and she finds out the truth about her mother. This is the one where we find out about the cameras, but she also sees this book that shows bygone days. And this is where, you know, she 
has uh, flashbacks to her, her relationship with George. George. So we think of them as discrete episodes that are part of the larger story so that there is a cliffhanger. There is at least something that makes you want to let the clock roll out and watch the next episode, or at least start the next episode. Um, that's part of the metric of doing streaming, right? Is you're, you're trying to keep people engaged. You're trying to get the, a high completion rate. I don't know what that means, really, except you kind of do know what it means, which is Charles Dickens wrote his books in serial form. You know, people on the dock waiting to find out what happened to Little Nell in New York, you know, in the docks in New York. I love that story. And and so we're doing the same thing. You know, we're, we're telling a big story, but we're telling it in chunks. And each chunk, each chapter um, should really uh, exist unto itself to a degree, but also really feed into the next one. So that's that's a conscious choice. Is it difficult for you to move in this direction or is it kind of natural? Because you've written so many great movies that are complete in two hours. Right. Like, could you, you know, how do you think about the differences there? I'm going to go back for a second. Band of Brothers was there was no showrunner except mm -hmm. Tom Hanks, essentially. Jenderson created the Bible and it was really his baby. But we all went off and wrote by ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um when you get into a room where now you're all working on a whole season, it's a different thing that there is a sense of, of um, writing the whole thing together and that we didn't have on band. We didn't really have that on Pacific um, nor on masters, uh, except that was Orloff. John Orloff is, you know, he, that masters of the air is his. Um, now back to your question, movies, when someone comes to me with an idea, um, I will say, is it a TV series or is it a movie or is it a book or is it a play or is it something else? You know, is it a graphic novel? Because the idea might be great, but you're thinking, God, how many, how many years could I watch that? How, how much would that be? How would that be sustained? Um, Raylan Givens, six years was enough. You know, my, my, the joke is with Zach and Jamie, because they were running Sony then, that they wanted a seventh season. And Tim and I said, no, six is it. And they weren't happy with that. And that became an ongoing joke between us. So that now they're running Apple. They've been running it for a few years. And then FX does essentially a seventh season of Justify. And I said, well, you see, we finally did the seventh season. And they're like, shut up. Um, but the, um, the, the thing is, do you want, how long do you want to spend time with these characters? Um, Raylan, that world that lived in six years was, was enough for that. I've got an idea. We've got a plan for Silo if it goes the distance, but it's not six seasons. Um, and there's, you know, the plan is developing for slow horses in terms of what what that can sustain. You know, each one is is different. Honestly, it's really different. Um, you have to sort of, you've got to feel it yourself. You've got to feel like what when you're watching other shows, how many years are you going to want to watch it? Um, I know I'll watch another season of Wednesday when it comes out. Mm -hmm. But will I watch a third season? I don't know yet. Got to got to see. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of Mike. What Mike Flanagan does, and but those are all essentially limited series, one after yeah. another. It's just in his world, and so you're watching for his world, and that's cool. And they feel very complete, but it is like long, much longer than a movie as well. Much longer than a movie, and. Um, you know, speed worked at 104 minutes. Mm -hmm. you know, um, 
and um but band of brothers worked at 10 hours you know earth to the moon worked at 12 um pacific at 10 masters is nine um but yeah does the the mystery aspect does that lean towards you making less seasons like the big famous thing is like the studios or, or fox whatever pushed lost maybe too far they could end it sooner and maybe had a bigger ending then there is like too much pressure maybe is, is some ideas are on it yeah I, th- I think when there's a big mystery it's gonna it becomes difficult to sustain after a certain point i think you have to mix it up and make sure that each season has a sense oh that's the season where mm-hmm. um it's not it's one of those people that watch lost from the first episode to the last but i lost i watched my family peel away that was a family show and we watched it for two seasons all together and then my wife dropped out in three and then my son in four and her daughter in three and you know i was the only one at the end crying with jack lying there with the dog um so but i was willing to go on the ride because i wanted to find out and but that is you know you're doing the best you can you know there's some seasons of justified that are better than others um and um you know that never stops us from trying to make each season better than the last. You just know you're probably not going to do that, but you hope for it and you plan for it and you, you shoot for it. Is it always better? Or is it sometimes just different? Like, how do you think about just like, we want to do something different with the character this season? I think that, I think that we, you know, yes, that's a good question. Is it better? Is it worse? Is it different? And we were always trying to, to mix it up. You know, there was, you know, the second season of Justified was this is a season about feud. And the third season was this is about the, you know, the man from the North arrives with, you know, $100 bills. It's from the song, You'll Never Leave Harlan Alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are other secrets and stuff. And season four, this is a mystery season. That's what we decided. Who is Drew Thornton? You know, Drew Thompson. I can't remember our character's name. You know, so we 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 come up with those things. And that helps give it a a, a shake to it. In, a, in an approach um but there's only so many times you can mix it up and then you've got to you know then you're you're, you're the well is drained and you better to move on um, how important is it to have let's say good guys and bad guys kind of mirroring one another i think about speed obviously but also the last castle and a lot of your work um how do you think about those two things clashing i love seeing last castle where he's Look, when they first meet and he's looking through and he, he kind of just says a guy that clicks like this doesn't have anything about war it's so yeah. powerful and that sets this whole thing how do you think about the mirror image of those two? well that was you know and and that's one of my rules is to try wherever possible if i get a job rewriting something or i get a job adapting a book is i better love it and so i love david scarpa's script for last castle but i could see there was stuff i could contribute and he was happy enough with the work that I did and when we met. And it was sort of like, cool. You know, I got to sort of add some things, but the groundwork was laid, which was, you know, you've got this, you know, general in prison. Then what do you do? And the guy who's the the warden is a is a soldier wannabe in a way, but he's got rank, but he's got no life experience. And it's like, that's cool. That's fun. Um and it, the mirroring, you know, Raylan and Boyd, huge amount of mirroring there. The, you know, uh, uh, the the series, the, you know, one of the last scenes of the pilot is we dug coal together and we get back to that at the end of the 
the original series. And then Dave Andron and Michael Dinner were able to find something else to do for Justified City Primeval, which is adapt another one of Elmore's books. And we find out even more about, about Raylan, but it pays attention to the time that's passed between the series and, and that. So, you know, it's finding that way in. But the mirroring, it it all, you know, it's there if it's there. Um, I'm not going to Juliet. Um I think she has, there, there are some relationships that I can't get into because you've only seen the first season um, and there's stuff that happens, but there are relationships that have some aspect of that, that where you see someone in a certain way and then by hopefully by the end, see them in a different way and go, okay, now I, now I get where they were coming from. And that for Juliet to understand that, that's the key thing. When do you know you're ready to start writing? Is like, is there a certain North Star that leads the script? Is it about the theme? Uh, what is it for you? Uh, we were, uh, you know, Fred Golan is a writer I've been working with since Boomtown. And uh, we did Boomtown together. We worked on Reigns with Jeff Goldblum. Um, all the years of Justified, Sneaky Pete. And then when this was coming up, I said, would you come on board this? And he took a lot of it and said, yeah, okay. But it was a job. And then about three weeks into the writer's room, he said, oh, now I see what, what you're trying to do. Now I see why it got you. And it was the mystery, but it was also, it was Juliet's story, the unwitting heroine. She didn't set out to be the hero of the story. She's got her own story. She doesn't give a shit about being a hero. Um, but it's also, you know, society, governance, the, the desire for uh, the truth. And then Juliet will discover that and this is no big spoiler alert that the truth has its costs. There is a line that someone came up on uh, for one of the books of the silo series. It was just jacket copy. It was just a thing on the community. If the, if the lies don't kill you, the truth will. Mm -hmm. um, and there you go. That, that gets me. So that's, there can be those things that I, that you're always holding on to on sneaky Pete. It was Marius's journey, you know, trying to be a better human being that's as simple as it gets does that make the choices more binary for you like in terms of like okay we need to cut a few things is it the things that don't fit that narrative or any does any of that kind of ring a bell well it can be the narrative that narrative or it can be whatever the theme of that episode is you know if it doesn't serve that episode because i i still i'm an old school guy i want people to come away from watching an episode saying that was a good ep good episode of television mm -hmm. that told a story there's a beginning a middle and an end and then because it's in the streaming world there's a a big question mark at the end mm -hmm. it's either a cliffhanger or some bit of information or whatever that keeps you keeps you hooked into the show um so a lot of it is that does it serve that narrative in that episode um i don't generally we're not generally gonna we might not have ever written the scenes that weren't going to work in terms of the larger story um, mm -hmm. we're trying to always keep that going that said justified had a very there was good guys and bad guys but there was pretty much there weren't a lot of b stories um Sneaky Pete had a lot of B stories. There was a lot of going to other characters' points of view. Um, Silo has a fair amount of that. We go off into other people's lives a fair amount. And so we've got to juggle all of those as well. And that's that becomes a different thing. Giving advice for uh, writers trying to get a job on a staff with someone like you, like anything about 
uh, spec scripts or getting noticed, anything like that? You know, when I, I remember hearing another writer talking about this at a, at a panel thing, he said, you know, back in the day you wrote, if you wanted to be an hour long, you wrote a medical script, you wrote a detect a law script and you wrote a legal script. I mean, a law script and then a police script, right? That it was all, that was it. And now everyone, you just read pilots. I think that original pilots, what, you know, what are they doing on the match? What is the thing that they want to write? Um, and then to that end, it's like, what else do you want to write? I always, I, I take part in uh, something at Sundance every year, past six years or so, and a couple other places I go and read people's stuff. And it's always, what else are you writing? What are you writing next? Because that's the job of the writer. And uh, there was a guy I was talking to, and he wrote one thing. It was pretty highly regarded at Sundance, and we hope he gets work. And, you know, he said, yeah, the next thing I'm working on is a whodunit. And I'm like, that's good. That's good. Mix it up. You know, try to do that. See if you can see if you can master that or at least approach Matt, you know, at least do a good enough job that it works. Um, so that to me is, you know, write what you want to see. Write the kind of show you'd like to watch. And uh, then hopefully you get reps who say, oh, good writer. They're right for this job. They're right for that job. You know, there's also the fear that in the next couple of years, we're going to see the great culling. You know, we've gone from when I started Justified, there was maybe 200 shows on, which was huge. And now it's up to 500 and 600. Now, it'll, but soon it'll be down to 400 and then back down to 300. And, you know, it'll it'll get smaller. It will. There will be a culling. And um, so it's going to be a tough time um, in terms of, the number of shows anyway. Uh, just last question. We're almost out of time. Obviously we're talking mostly about the hits, the things that succeeded. You mentioned having a lot of stuff that didn't succeed. Any advice for those people that have been trying for a long time, but just not quite breaking in any advice to, to those people? Um, You know, it's, there's the harsh reality of, are you good enough? Cause maybe you're not. And I don't know. And maybe you haven't come up with a thing. Maybe you haven't. I will say this. So I, it it is. One, I always say to people, would you do this even if you knew you were never going to get paid? If you had a look crystal ball, you're never going to get paid. Are you still going to work on scripts? That's harder than working on novels. Novels are at least a thing. Scripts are like they're a half a thing. It's a blueprint for a building. You know, it's but I love scripts. I love reading a good script. Um, the other thing is keeping at it and trying something different. So I wrote, you know, I worked on the show for Nickelodeon. I worked for, uh, on full house briefly. Then I wrote speed, speed changed my life. But what really changed my writing career was getting a job on from the earth to the moon. And, um, I, there was one episode I wanted, it wasn't available. I was going to do a different one. And then they called back two days later and said, no, that Apollo one story is now available again. That changed my life because now I'm writing a serious story about a tragedy where three astronauts died in a launch pad fire in 1967. I've got to go, got to do a good job. What am I going to do? And I stole the structure from the movie fearless by Peter Weir, um, where you see a bit of the tragedy at the beginning, but then you build to finally seeing it at the end. And I realized, oh, it's a detective story. Who's the detective? These are all things that came to me and they were the right choices. And um, 
this is a self-aggrandizing story as most of mine are, but uh, initially Frank Darabont was going to direct it. And then Frank and I ended up working together on the pilot for Reigns years later. But he said that he was reading the script and he kept on going back to the title page and saying, wait a second, this is the bus guy. And that's the best, one of the best reviews I've ever gotten. This is the best, this is the bus guy. Cause speed was the thing. Um, very well constructed thing. Everything came into alignment, right director, right time, brilliant cast, all this stuff. Joss Whedon did a spectacular rewrite. All of the, all the ups and downs of life and the careers all this fucking shit. Right. But it worked out and it's, and it's a good, good film. I'm very proud to have my name anywhere near it, but earth to the moon, that episode that changed my writing because, um, that's when I became a better writer. And, uh, um, and that then led into Band of Brothers, into Boomtown and on. Um, so I hadn't anticipated that that would happen. That was just a challenge that was put in my lap. And I had to step up because this was about real people who died and the people who knew them. And so I couldn't fuck it up. Um, and yeah. And that was the moon program. Then I'm working on Band of Brothers, and now it's like, oh, shit. Oh, and I'm talking to these guys. I'm talking to Carwood Lipton on the phone, and I'm talking to Garnier, and I'm talking to Bull Randleman, and it's like, oh, my God. I really better not fuck this up. And um, and then it changes, you know? Then it's, I'm adapting Elmore Leonard with a group of people. Well, Elmore's still alive. Better not screw this up. I want to do a show that he's going to like. Now working on Silo, it's got a big audience, you know, and a lot of people have read the book and Hugh's very much alive and, you know, in the writer's room on occasion. And, and it's like, better not screw this up. So it's, but I think the thing is, you know, keep challenging yourself and um, see if you can step it up. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. Before you take off, I want to give you a free gift. I'm giving you my first book, Ink by the Barrel, for free. That's the digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com. Inside this book, you'll learn how to annihilate writer's block by embracing Elizabeth Gilbert's playful trickster mentality. You can learn to weaponize your anxiety with Kevin Kelly's different is better approach. And learn how to defend your time with Ryan Holiday's calendar anorexia mindset. There's just a few other ideas in the book, Ink by the Barrel. It's also based on over 400 interviews I've done right here on Creative Principles. So go steal that book right now, Ink by the Barrel, to learn how to be a prolific writer. You can get your copy that's a digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com. And if it's your first time here, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode.